virtual edition of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Miatawa. Chris Hetty is another half a city away. You're in <laughs> Omaha, right? Like, yeah, I'm like 20 minutes away from you, I think. Okay, yeah. So we're apart, but together via technology. Hooray. Yeah, hooray. Let's talk some, let's talk some hoops. It's been yeah. a couple of weeks since we recorded, and a lot has happened in terms of roster management for the two teams that we cover, Nebraska and Creighton. Let's start with the Huskers, Chris, because I think that the uh, the headlines um, resonated maybe a little bit more loudly with with Nebraska's changes, in particular Chris Mack announcing that – Cam Mack. Oh, Chris Mack, sorry. Not, not Chris <laughs> Mack, Cam Mack. Uh, Cam Mack. Um, announcing that if he did return to college, it wouldn't be in Nebraska. He's transferring. Right. Um, and, and then the Huskers picked up a pretty good player out of Pitt, uh, Trey McGowan's, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those two stories, I think, were the two biggest ones. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, Cam, Cam announced that he's entering the transfer portal, which was unsurprising. Um, when he declared for the NBA draft, um, I think it was actually kind of a surprise for some people inside of the program because their expectation was he was just going to enter the transfer portal and transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of flip-flopped in a way where you would expect maybe he declares, you know, enters the transfer portal and then declares for the draft and then kind of figures it out. But he has still declared for the draft. That's still kind of his first priority. Um, but he's not going to come back to Nebraska. That's something that, um, I think that Nebraska has expected for a while, um, but he made it official. Um, and I would not be surprised at all if he ends up somewhere in Texas, somewhere close to home. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, kind of where this is trending, especially, you know, there was a, the athletic put together, you know, a top 100 mock drafts, NBA draft board, um, 100 players on it. Cam Mack wasn't on it. Uh, and there's not 100 picks in the NBA draft. I believe right. there's 60. Um, so, uh, I don't think he's going to the NBA. Um, I don't think he's going to go travel, play overseas anywhere. So I expect him to go play in college somewhere, it's, which won't be in Lincoln. Yeah. It's interesting, Chris, with Cam, with Cam, because like he, a year ago now, we kind of envisioned he was going to be sort of the point guard mm-hmm. who, uh, Coach Fred Hoiberg and his staff built around. Like he was kind of the centerpiece of this offense. Obviously, now after watching the season play out, and you could tell that it wasn't trending that way. But I guess a lot's changed in a year because when he first committed, yeah. it was like, "Oh, Cam Mack is a point guard of this team." When this team has its success, its breakthrough in two or three years, like Cam Mack's going to be the piece, centerpiece of all this. And obviously now he's gone. Yeah. I mean, I, I even wrote um, a story about how he could be um, the new Monte Morris, mm. like that he's going to be what Monte Morris was at Iowa state. Now he was only with Fred Hoiberg for two years, but he stayed at Iowa state for four. Um, he led the country in assist to turnover ratio all four years. Like this was the point guard that Fred Hoiberg needed. And I think two things were kind of happening. I think one, Cam has not been shy on social media about his want to play in the NBA and be kind of a one and done type player. And I think that, I mean, obviously the coaching staff knew that, but I think, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think there was probably an assumption of like, at some point Cam would realize that that wasn't 
going to happen. He wasn't going to get drafted. He would, he should stay another year. Yeah. If the season maybe had gone a little differently, if they had won a couple more games, maybe he feels more connected to the program and wants to stay. But because of the, because of the way the year went, in some ways you could argue Cam got out of the year what he wanted. People now know who he is. Yeah. And I remember sitting with him at Big Ten Media Day um, at the Nebraska table, and nobody was over there. Nobody. Nobody knew who Cam – like, they didn't know what these guys' names were. It was Cam, Hanif, and Gervais Green, if I remember correctly. Um, and I remember that the story that I wrote about Cam was, you know, he's sitting here at this table, and, you know, he's kind of this hidden gem in the Big Ten, um, and people don't really know who he is. Well, now, now people do. He got the triple-double. You know, when he announced that he was entered the transfer portal, I think the second sentence was that it was an honor for him to be the first player to get it. I mean, that was his goal. Yeah. He did what he needed to do. Um, but I also think that this wasn't really the plan. I agree. The plan was Cam is the point guard. Um, and, I mean, I don't think the like, I don't think that if you would have told them, hey, and after Cam Mack committed, I don't think you, if you would have told them, hey, he's going to leave and you have to bring in a grad transfer point guard, um, then that, that, that just wasn't in their cards. Yeah. Um, Nebraska, in, in some ways, even though, and we'll get to Trey McGowan's in a second, um, even though he's, a, he's one of the best transfers and Kobe Webster scored 17 a game in the Summit League, um, I think Nebraska actually might be better if they had Cam next year. Just based on, he knows Fred's system, he runs exactly the time. I mean, he knows how to run the offense, he's as fast as a point guard as you would ever want. That's exactly what Fred wants. And um, he seemed to embrace sort of the distributor mon- completely. Like mentality. You know, he completely. Maybe, maybe to a fault because he was just mm-hmm. looking for his assist. But, mm-hmm. hey, when you have a lot of weapons around you, that can work into your favor because, obviously, you're not looking to score yourself. Exactly. And the thing that a lot of people said, too, was like, just, Im- just imagine what, what Cam's stats could be next year when he's got people that can finish, when you're throwing it out to – you know, different guards who shoot potentially better from three than what Nebraska's roster was last year. Um, but to your point, though, I think that we didn't appreciate that aspect of the news. Is not only did he leave and it was expected, and you know, you can kind of shrug it off of like, oh well, yeah. I mean, whatever. We saw the season, so we it knew is, that it, it we right, could see it yeah. But at the same time, though, it is it is worth acknowledging. This is a different. I mean, Nebraska is going to look different. Um, over the next couple of years than the original plan was. Um, so they've got Delano Banton. He's going to run point. Um, they've got Kobe Webster. He's going to run point. Nebraska over the weekend also lands Trey McGowns, who was a sophomore transfer from Pitt. Um, and he there was a service, I can't remember who, who rated him the number two sit-out transfer that was available on the market. Um, he's a 6'4 point guard from Pitt, who um, was an, is an interesting addition um, because all of a sudden you've got all these ball handlers, you've got all these point guards. And, uh, you know, both Kobe Webster and Trey McGowan's told me when I talked to them, you know, after they committed, I'm going to be the point guard. You know, yeah. they told Kobe Webster, I want you to come be our next point guard. And Kobe Webster was like, sweet, I'm coming. They told Trey McGowan's, hey, one is your natural position. Come be a point guard for us. And he was like, cool, let's do it. So you've got that. And they keep talking about how Delana Banton's also a point guard. So you've got all these, whatever. And there's two ways to look at this. One, okay, do you have a quote-unquote position battle, right? And two, 
they're going to have a positionless basketball where like they technically everyone's a point guard and technically everyone's not. And, and that's kind of what Trey McGowan's told me was, cause I asked him, you know, you've got Delano and you've got Kobe. And, um, what's the, what's the plan here? And he said, well, we're going to go five out and at basically the ball is going to be spaced so well. And we're going to move the ball so well that anybody can do anybody, that, anything that they want. Like we're going to be able to all run sets and whatever. And so obviously he's a sit out transfer, but, they're going to apply for an eligibility, immediate eligibility waiver. I think in general, everybody's going to, it's going to be a nightmare in terms of the NCAA is just going to be flooded in paperwork this summer because everyone's going to have a case. Everyone's going to apply for waivers. You think? Yeah, completely. Don't you think? I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of, um, it's going to, it'll be interesting because if you already kind of indicated that you plan to transfer before Mm -hmm. the COVID-19 outbreak, which probably most people didn't because the season was still going on, Mm -hmm. but like, before the season got canceled, if you were already like thinking I'm transferring, then maybe you don't have a case, but I imagine most people were after that. So I think everybody's going to, I mean, I think if I think the one time transfer rule is probably coming pretty quick. Well, and then it might just be easier to be like, everyone's eligible. Just, just, we're just going to, we're not going to, we literally physically could not go through all of these in the way that we've been doing over the last couple of years. So everyone, because of how last season ended, we're just going to say everyone is eligible, and then next year we're going to do the same thing, and that's how we start. You know what I mean? So there's some reports. I think John Ralston reported that if the NCAA uh, votes on the new transfer proposal, that that first year, first-time transfers can be eligible immediately in college basketball. If they vote on that, that it wouldn't take into effect in 2021 until 2021-2022. Um, so there's that. But I think we, what you bring up is a good point because it seems like a headache waiting to happen if mm-hmm. this rule isn't put in place because a lot of players probably put themselves into the transfer portal thinking that they would be immediately eligible uh, because there had been so much chatter about this rule, uh, about this rule change going into effect next year. I mean, the ACC and the Big Ten both backed it. So normally when you have two big-time uh conferences like that that are supporting a piece of legislation it's going to pass even though it was still somewhat controversial i think but or at least there was a debate going i think that the assumption was that it was going to pass and so now you have all these players who entered the transfer portal thinking it's going to be a nightmare john and now it's it's not going to be free agency it's going to be free agency like it's just going to be it's just going to be a total so anyway i mean with, with trey He's going to have to sit out unless he gets that waiver. Um, but they're going to apply for one. Um, he's a, he's a pretty good, I mean, he's, he's a 30 point. I mean, he's, he scored 33, he scored 30. Um, he can get hot before he can get hot. Yeah. He has the, the highest arch on his shot I've ever seen in a division one basketball player. It's, it's incredible. Like I was watching some highlights and, he had a really good game against North Carolina and I was watching the highlights from that. And I mean, they're just rainbows. I mean, it's, he's got a pretty, not, not a funky shot, but, but he can make it. I mean, he's, he scored 11 and a half a game at Pitt. He's, he started 64 of 66 games there, played for Jeff Capel, 3.6 assists, 3.3 rebounds, can kind of do it all, um, can get to the bucket. Um, he told me, you know, he liked Pitt obviously, but, Jeff Capel's system was just really slow and he felt like he mm. could thrive under kind of a more up-tempo 
you know, I'm surprised. Kind of that, I'm surprised yeah. Cable's playing a slow system. They got yeah. David Johnson, who's another like really speedy point guard playmaker mm-hmm. type guy. It seems like you get Xavier uh, Johnson and Trey McGowan together. Like, push that. Pass. Go, yeah, just keep going. <laughs> yeah, I oh, I get it. I totally get it. Um, not a, I'm not a coach, though, so um, <laughs> that's why that's why we don't make three million dollars. Exactly, exactly. Um, um, yeah, I was going to ask you anybody else in or out mm-hmm. over the last couple weeks that we may have missed, not talked about on this podcast. So. I don't think so. I mean, I they, so their, their, their class currently is Kobe Webster, Kobe King, Teddy Allen, Latman, and Trey McGowns. Cam Mack has left. Um, three sit-up transfers are still around. Thor, Nicole, Kevin, and Ivan are still on the roster. None of them are in the transfer portal. I checked this morning. Um, so any indication that they have left the team is incorrect. Uh, they're still on the roster. Um, so they've got one scholarship that's technically open. Um, I think the hope right now is that Adama Sanogo is the last piece to this puzzle. He's a six foot nine, 250 pound kid out of New York who is technically in the 2021 class, but the plan is for him to uh, reclassify for 2020. He's taking a virtual visit to Nebraska today, which um, I've learned consists of like sitting on a couch and FaceTiming Fred Hoiberg while he sits at his desk in his office and like gives a presentation, which like I would pay a hundred dollars to just like watch. Um, it's just gotta be surreal. Like instead of taking an actually official visit, you're you know sitting in someone's office, but also across the country, you know? Right. Right. Um, so the, the plan, the hope is to have him, join and then they'd be full um and with one, uh one so, question with yeah. one question with sonogo i think because i think he wrote this like nebraska's in his final 10 or something like yeah yeah he's got a final 11. quote unquote 10 yeah okay. so he's i mean a lot there's a lot of people after him connecticut pittsburgh xavier auburn um he took in a, a virtual visit to um, I shouldn't even say a virtual visit. He FaceTimed with the coaching staff from Seton Hall. Like that's the, that's the, that's what, that's what right. actually happened. Let's not make this more complicated. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I agree with you, Chris. Like we got to <laughs> stop with this virtual visit stuff. Uh, taking a virtual, like what I, what I, what I imagine a virtual visit is, is like FaceTiming and like walking through the facility. It's like the, right. almost when you like get into a new apartment or house and you FaceTime your family, like, here's what it looks like. If, like, that, that's hap- what it sounds if, like. if that happens, I can give it to them with a virtual right. visit. But if it's literally just like what we're doing right now, we're two guys sitting talking. Yeah. Yeah. I took a virtual visit to John Neatawa's house today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, um, don't like it. Yeah. So, so they're in on him. Um, he has only a couple weeks to decide if he's going to reclassify. And from what I've heard, he's, he's got to try and figure out how to take his SAT and he's in New York, and New York is kind of closed down. So I'm I'm curious how that's going to all go. Um, but I mean, the plan is for him to reclassify. So um, we'll see if that happens. Um, real quick before we jump to Creighton, they've also reached out to a bunch of other transfers, obviously that um, that uh, are still haven't you know committed anywhere over the last couple of weeks. They've um, you know Luther Muhammad has uh, has been. In the transfer portal from Ohio State, there was a report that, that Nebraska reached out to him. Um, they've reached out to DJ Carton, from, also from Ohio State. Um, there was a Stony Brook, the 6'11 kid from Stony Brook. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Je- Jeff Ochiri. Um, he's a 6'11 kid from Stony Brook who also played um, at Garden City Community College. Um, they're clearly trying to find a big man. I think if they get the, this Adama kid, they're – they're going to be happy. I feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's still, 
I was going to ask you if they pieces. don't, yeah, if they don't add, I mean, I guess there's still a possibility that someone could enter a transfer portal. The season's like, I think you see in college basketball, you see a wave of transfers in the portal right after the season ends. Mm-hmm. And then you see another wave, a little less uh, uh, pronounced, but another wave at the end of the semester when mm-hmm. players get done with academics and then they're kind of like, okay, now I'm ready to kind of decide my future. I just want to get done with class and stuff. So there could be more changes, I guess, but assuming that Nebraska, okay, maybe we can assume, but if Nebraska doesn't get Sunogo, then you would assume that it's going to go after another transfer just to fill that spot. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And Fred Hoiberg said on the radio last week, also, yeah, that was news. He spoke on the radio last week um, that they're trying to get somebody big and physical. They want, they need a big man. They need somebody to protect the rim. Mm. Um, They don't really have anybody. And I don't think they really think, Derek Walker can do that alone um, or, or particularly well. And obviously Ivan can, can a little bit, but not really. So, I mean, they could, they could use a big guy. So they'll, they'll go until they find one. It's kind of right. what I thought. And I also think too, to your point, I think that part of the reason why this is just my theory. I think part of the reason why kids after the semester will transfer is because they're away from basketball for a little bit. They're with their families they're thinking what's best for me. Like, do we need to do this? Do we need to do that? And that's kind of been happening already. Mm, like people are home. Yeah. I mean, nobody's, nobody's on campus. So right. if they were going to have those conversations about leaving, I think that's why we see so many people right now because it's both the season's point. end and yeah. they're home. It's and all so happening they might as well once. do it now. Right. Yeah. That's kind of, that's, that, that's at least my theory. Gotcha. Um, but again, I mean, there were Nebraska that. added people in May last year. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's never really over till it's over, but I think if they get Sonogo and if they keep the roster that they currently have, I think they'd feel pretty, pretty okay about that. Speaking of room protection, it looks like Nebraska was 306 in terms of a uh, block shot percentage in the country last year, which is actually higher than I expected. I like, I like that in your, I, I think it was in your season recap, you noted that Nebraska was blocked by more. Like blocked more than any other team in the country. Block, blocked percentage, thirteen point seven percent of their shots were blocked. Yeah, that's uh, obviously the other end of the court. But on defense, yeah, yeah. I mean, the value of a rim protector is it's hard to put into words because not only do, do you block shots as a rim protector, but you also affect and change the game, and you um, you can erase some mistakes that you otherwise wouldn't be able to in terms of what you're doing on the perimeter and, def- and defending that way. And you, sometimes you can just funnel a driver into a shot blocker and mm-hmm. kind of n- uh, nullify some of his effectiveness there. So that seems like a priority for Nebraska. Like I I'd almost be surprised if they aren't able to get Sonogo that they, when they hunt on the transfer market, they got to go after a big guy. I mean, that to me seems like. They were that, 280th in, in, in defensive field goal percentage. Yeah, and you got to be in the top 150 to have a chance. I think. I mean, you have to be. Right. You have and, to be much, much better than that. And that that's like it. one of the most important statistics in, in basketball. I mean, you it's, look at the top. The top of that was Memphis, Virginia, Kansas, Michigan State, Vermont, Washington, Houston, Rutgers, USC, San Diego State. If you're a good team, you're generally pretty good at that. And yeah. Nebraska was horrible. That you need, and I think a rim protector is part of that. Because it also changes the way people play you. Yeah. So they need a big guy. They really, really do. Um, and as you mentioned, Fred Horberg noted that on his uh, on his radio appearance. 
let's chat about that real quick before we okay. go to Creighton because he did say on that, and I know you, you don't have probably as many details as you like is going to go as specific, but he did say that had he known sort of the, and I think a lot of people are saying this sort of thing. Like I'm saying this in my head, had I known the severity of coronavirus, the threat that we were facing, like I wouldn't have wanted to go to New York city to cover the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, and Fred Horberg said, had I known I wouldn't have coached. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. The, the main thing that was interesting to me at least was, um, it, it put, he tried to explain his headspace at that moment, which was basically, it looked, it, his argument basically was, it looked a lot worse because I did not know what everyone watching the game and everyone that was in the arena knew. Yeah. So he basically kind of pled ignorance in a way by saying, I wasn't glued to the TV. I was trying to get my team ready. Um, I was trying to you know, prepare and all these things. And the one thing he said that he had heard about coronavirus was that um, you, you had some pain in your chest, tightness in your chest. And, and so he got an x-ray that morning and there was nothing in his lungs and he felt fine to coach. And so his thought I think was like, I'm, I'm fine. Um, But it was interesting though, because not only did he coach and kind of get some ire of the college basketball world, the sports world in general, became a national story beaten, you know, big 10 was not very happy about it. Um, but the next morning he said like, Hey, I wouldn't have never done anything to jeopardize my team or people that I love and all these things, but there wasn't really like an apology for, you know, kind of creating that chaos there. And I don't think that that rubbed people the right way either. Um, and this was the first time he, he had, cause that came off as like, you know, I would. I'm not, I'm not. I wouldn't have done this um, mm. if I knew it was, if it was a problem. Right. And th- but this, you know, he said, had I known what I know now, I definitely would not have gone out there and coached that game um, because I did have some symptoms that they talk about now, and um, basically said, um, you know, that that he shouldn't have coached. Essentially, is what he said, um, which is notable. Um, and we have not talked to him since. Um, but this is, this is the first time that he's. Um, spoken about it i imagine he won't want to speak about it very like a lot more no, probably not. um like maybe one more time when we actually get to talk to him right. but it but it, the main interesting thing about it was just him explaining basically he didn't know what was going on uh in the world with coronavirus and so um he kind of tried to put that to bed i think which i think he mostly did um and i think most people have kind of moved on uh with that um and nebraska has done a lot to um, kind of not talk about that to be honest, and, so, and he also kind of mentioned it was a difficult year. You know, nobody, nobody. We've not spoken to him about just like overall. What did you learn? What was your main takeaway of the year? Like, we've not talked to him yet about it. He's not um, done interviews yet. Uh, but he, he basically said nobody went into the season thinking we'd win seven games um, in just two in the league, and you know, but said it was an important year and try to kind of spin it forward. Um, which Cam Mackwell said he's excited for potential. I mean, I imagine once they sign this 2020 class, which I believe they can do next week, I think that you can still do that next week. Yeah, I think this, the early signing period still opens as scheduled. Um, so it's still the 15th, right? Right, but now it's extended a little bit longer. And you know how yeah. it goes. Like Even outside of the early signing period, you can still sign guys. And then transfers can sign whenever. Right. Like, I think that's how it goes. I think they can kind of go. I think. So I think I imagine once they sign that class, we'll do a 
conference call or a Zoom meeting or something, and he'll, he'll talk. Virtual visit? We'll, we'll virtually visit. Yeah, we'll take a virtual <laughs> visit to Fred Hoiberg's office. Um, yeah, so I that's thought, kind of, yeah. I, I thought the story you wrote was, was really good about the sort of uh, recap of year one and what mm. was established, what wasn't established. Um, and I'd be interested to hear more from Fred about that sort of thing. Because again, you know, they're, they're resetting a little bit um, with, some, with some new pieces, but they do have some guys who were in it and returning. And so I'd imagine that they feel at least somewhat comfortable with um, establishing some of the um, culture. Yeah, I'd love to hear his thoughts on it too. Because on paper, it's like they did exactly what they wanted to do, but now they're going to have to try and do it with brand new people. So did you really do what you exactly wanted to do? Because that's you're not right. really bringing those people right. back. But at Iowa State, you technically did. So yeah, no, that's, right. I appreciate you saying that because, you liked because, it, but, I'm, but I'm, I'd love more context on it, yeah. Right, yeah, because you wrote that story about the Iowa State team in Hoiberg's first year. And one of the things that those guys told you was that they rallied around this idea, this notion that they were going to go through the battles now. And like mm -hmm. they were going to be battle tested and then, you know, in the next year, the year after that, they can reference some of the hardships that they overcame together. And while this group, you know, did go through some hardships, it's not going to be like, not everyone's going to be able to reference it. Like Delano. Most, might, most of them won't. Yeah. I was most say, of them won't. Delano might I mean, be the like, only people would, that would be, would be Thor, a Cole who hardly played Kevin, who yeah. is going to have a interesting time getting on the floor and Ivan. Right. And it's interesting. It's such a good point, John. I haven't thought about, but it's such a good point because again, year one, year two, year three, they had a lot of the same guys. And that was one thing Melvin Edgem told me. He was a freshman that first year. And he was like that second and third, you know, that second, third and fourth year when we were in battles at the top of the big 12, we referenced the things from the year one right. about when we lost 10 games in a row. And now that's just non-existent. You it's wonder so if, interesting. Yeah, you wonder if year two kind of turns into its own version of year one. Yeah, I agree. Certainly I not agree. as the, I, I would imagine the goal is not to be as obviously they're not going to be as bad. They they're adding more talent. They're going to be more talented than they were last year. So, but uh, it's, yeah, but at the same time, if they go five hundred, that means they've probably gone on a five six game losing streak at some point. Maybe that's what we're talking about. Yeah, you know, and then we talk. They talk about that over the years, right? Um, let's jump let's, to Creighton. Yeah, I was going to say let's switch, switch to Creighton. Yeah. The Jays um, over the last week. It was announced that a freshman guard, Jalen Windham, has entered the transfer portal. Um, he was kind of like uh, he was the he was the last guy on the depth chart in the wings shooting guard group on scholarship, but kind of a developmental piece that probably saw. I don't know if it's a writing on the wall necessarily because I think that he could have impacted. Depending on how he had developed, he could have impacted. Um, his junior and senior year, but like he didn't play this year hardly at all. Next year, he's not going to play again. So he's probably thinking, you know, I can continue on this development track. Creighton's going to keep adding talent. Like I'm going to have to fight for playing time junior, senior year, or go to a, another school and have an opportunity to get more minutes. So it wasn't too much of a surprise that he entered the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. And then the other guy was Davion Mintz, um, who a couple days later announced that he's going to grad transfer somewhere else and not finish his career at Creighton, his final year, his senior year. Um, his case was a little obviously different, but also probably not too much of a surprise given that he got hurt in the preseason last year, high ankle sprain. It was initially thought, okay, well, 
high ankle sprain. You know that those can, can linger a little bit, but he'll be back eventually. And I think Davion, when I chatted with him once, I think he referenced like it was a couple weeks later where he was already gearing himself back up to go again after he had injured it. Um, I think the secret scrimmage that they were going to play, he, he was expecting to play, but then there was a setback. And that that kind of like improvement, setback, improvement, setback kept happening for the next few weeks. And I, I think there was another time in December where it was like ramped up. He was getting ramped up, ready to go again. And then there was another setback. And so it was ultimately decided by him, his family, and Coach McDermott that he would redshirt this last year so that he could play a full senior year healthy. That was the idea. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if Damian Mintz wants to play a full senior year healthy, he probably wants to play, you know, a lot. Yeah. Um, if that's what, if that's where his kind of mentality is, he wants to play and get some minutes and given where Creighton was um, or what it's projected to be next year, Marcus Segarowski is the point guard. You know, Tyson Alexander has a decision to make, I think, in terms of whether he's going to declare for the draft and then ultimately if he stays or goes. But Mitch Ballack's there, uh, Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney. Creighton's adding a transfer, Antoine Jones, into the mix next year who sat out last season, and um, he's like a 6'6 wing. Um, there's just not – you're going to have to share minutes. There's not like a, a world for Davion Mintz to get in there and play 35 minutes a game. And so if that's what he wants – he had to go somewhere else to get it, and I think that's what he wanted. So, How many do you think he would have played if he stayed? Hard to say. I mean, you think about what Creighton did with its guards this year. Like, let's say this in this scenario, Tyson Alexander returns. Last year, those guys all played 35 minutes a game, maybe more than that. So you could say, all right, add Davion Mintz into that mix. Maybe those numbers go down a little bit. But then, you're, you know, Sharif Mitchell's still there. So – He's going to get some time because he brings an element of energy and defensive intensity that uh, nobody else matches. Mm-hmm. So he's going to he's going to get in there, and uh, Creighton's adding pieces at the five and the four. So maybe one of those fours, like Damian Jefferson or Denzel Mahoney or Antoine Jones, slides to the three. So all of a sudden, you see very quickly that like the idea of getting thirty minutes a game just doesn't seem not. Yeah, it's just yeah, not really feasible. So. I, so he 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 left. He, he's going to transfer, which I, it's not too surprising. Now the the interesting piece in all of that is that Tyshawn Alexander, you know, he could go pro, and if he did go pro, that would suddenly alleviate that sort of question of how are you going to get minutes. Mm-hmm. So, um, but given the climate of where we are today, the NBA draft is getting pushed back. It seems the 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 uh, pre-draft process is going to be totally different. I mean, it could be a scenario where a guy like Tyson Alexander, who is kind of on the fringe, you know, like he didn't get a ton of buzz from NBA draft experts during the season, but he's also been in college for three years. And is his, he's kind of at that point where how much more does his draft stock improve just by staying in, in college for a year and plus, in this day and age, I mean, if you look at the numbers last year, um, non-seniors that were drafted, I think it was like 40, 40 non-seniors drafted and 40 more went undrafted. So hmm. more and more players are like, I'm ready to start making money on my basketball skill. I know I only have so much time in my body to um, 
to sort of monotonize that and to to uh, to benefit and to my earning potential. There's a finite length of yeah. time. Yeah. And I want to get started as quickly as possible. I think more and more college basketballs are deciding that. Basketball players are deciding that. And I think that's what Tyshawn's going to face. So, but long, long, the sort of shorter version of that, what I just said is that that decision could last, who knows, that process of trying to figure out where you stand. It, maybe it extends into June. Maybe it extends into July even, you know, like, yeah, who knows how long that's going to last. And so a guy like Davion Mitz probably couldn't wait on that to figure out. Um, it's the, it's the Tristan Jebbia conundrum. Oh. Tristan Jebbia stay. If Tristan Jebbia stays, he's, he's right. starting a game in the first three games. Right. He's, right. he's starting the Troy game. He's finishing the Colorado game. So Davion Mintz, he leaves where he, Tyshawn Tysha Alexander goes to the NBA. He's probably getting 30 minutes. Right. But if he doesn't, then he's not playing at all. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, it's, it's, you know, you try and figure out how to play the game. You just, you can't, t- you know, you don't know what the future is. So you have to try and do what's best for right. you. And I, I will, did say it was surprising. It was a little bit surprising to me because we had talked about him a little bit of like, okay, well, how yeah. does Creighton mix back in all these guys they've got and this Memphis transfer and Davion Mintz and how do we, how do we kind of see them meshing it? And it was like, oh, well, the answer is they don't because <laughs> he's late, you know, but now, right. now you have all these roster spots and you have all these scholarships and I'm curious what they do now. It's yeah. It's just so, it's so interesting because I think on one hand, Davion, um, if you're in practice, he was a good teammate. He was, once he got healthy, he was on the scout team and trying to encourage guys. And, you know, you saw him on the bench, you know, I think uh, when Marcus Segarowski got hurt against Seton Hall, like Davion Mintz had like Marcus had his arm around him and, and like Davion was helping him walk to uh, the net where they were cutting down the nets, like the other hoop. He had to walk the length of the court and he was like, his arm was on Davion. Like he was a good teammate mm-hmm. and he liked Creighton. He liked his teammates, but on the other hand, he's also, you know, a competitor who wants to play a lot and yeah. has these dreams of like, I want to be a pro and am I going to get noticed being a, um, I don't know, role player, maybe not the best term, but like kind of part of this rotation and not a, not a star piece. Like if I'm not a star piece and are they going to notice me? I mean, I think that's probably what he had to fight and what a lot of guys in college are like, you know, sort of always trying to battle. It's, it's one of the reasons why you see so much movement because players are just trying to get seen, They're mm-hmm. trying to do what they can to flash on the radar of a pro scout or two or three and start making money. So um, it was a, it's a like surprise, but not a surprise. I don't know how to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah I get that. It was just, it was a surprise to me because it, because it was just, that's a name that you expected to come back next year, but then you take a second and you're like, mm, but how's much he's going to play? Okay. That makes sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's Creighton's an interesting spot because um, it does have three scholarships available for next year's team. Um, but it also could return all five starters, 94% of its, 94% of its minutes. Um, it's going to add Antoine Jones. As I said, it's going to add a top 100 recruit, Ryan Kalkbrenner. Um, who is a big man, you know, a shot blocker extraordinaire from St. Louis. Uh, most likely, I mean, assuming the recovery goes well and all signs at this point indicate that it has with Jacob Epperson, they're going to add a, another sophomore big man. So there's three guys, Jones, Epperson, Kalkbrenner, who um, project as impact players who didn't play last year. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have this core group of starters, um, 
rotation guys who led Creighton to a historic season. You know, they won the or finished in a tie for the Big East, uh, Big East title. You know, they shared it with Seton Hall and, and Villanova. First ever Big East title. Finished number seven in the country in the AP Top 25 poll. I mean, if had this had the NCAA tournament been held, Creighton probably would have been seeded higher than it's ever been. At least matched the season that the program record, which is a three seed. But it looked like the Jays had a good shot at it too. Um, they this group accomplished so much, and it all could come back, adding in three other guys who weren't a part of it, but are talented enough to be a part of this rotation. Mm-hmm. So where does that leave the Jays when they go on to the recruiting scene? Uh, they dive into the transfer portal and they're like, hey, we need some more depth because we have these roster spots available, but we can't really guarantee any playing time. Mm-hmm. Like next year, can't really guarantee any playing time. Um, it's an interesting spot to be in. So the Jays are, they have recruited a kid out of Minnesota, Kerwin Walton. He's a senior, um, high school senior who was initially under the radar a couple of years ago, but kind of blew up last summer. He's a shooter, shooting guard slash wing type guy, playmaker. Um, that he announced a week ago that Creighton is in his final six. So he'll reportedly, he's going to make a decision at some point in the next week or so. Um, so that's a, a potential ad for the Jays, but again, they're going to have to try to rely on the relationship that they had built with him over the long haul um, because other teams were probably going to be trying to sell playing time or immediate sort of the opportunity to play right away. Whereas Walton would have to compete for a spot with this roster that the Jays have. Um, there, the Jays are also going after transfers. Obviously I think they would have a pretty good case for sit out guys. But again, we don't know if those sit out guys are even really interested in sitting out because of the possibility of getting immediately eligible. It's going to be free agency, man. It's going to be insane. I mean, it's going to be, everyone's going to have a case and everyone's going to want to play and everyone's going to feel slighted if they don't like, it's going to, I agree with you. So the, the Jays have gone after a number of guys, contacted a number of guys and tried to uh, sort of start that recruiting process. It's obviously different now. and, And we've kind of discussed some of that. Um, but Trey Murphy, a third out of Rice, to me, seems like one of the guys that's been on t- at the top of the Creighton's list. Now, he's been in contact with a lot of different schools. You mentioned he's on your tra- transfer tracker. Mm-hmm. Nebraska's Nebraska contact. contacted him, yeah. I think he's done some virtual visits with Villanova, UConn, Pitt, Iowa State. I mean, the, there's, the list kind of goes on. He's like a 6'8 wing, t- which to me, um, his game, a shooter, long, kind of springy, rangy. He fits what Creighton likes to do, but then again, so do a lot of teams. So it's going to, I mean, I don't know what he's going to decide and how he's going to go, but he's a guy to keep your your eye on to watch. I mean, Creighton's also been kind of linked to Luther Muhammad at Ohio State, uh, Alex O'Connell at Duke, um, Jalen Carey at Syracuse, um, DJ Carton at Ohio State. Jay's recruited him out of high school. Uh, he's from Bettendorf, Iowa, obviously mm-hmm. had a pretty impressive run there to start his freshman season, but um, he's good, man. He could have yeah. been big 10 freshman of the year. I mean, he was, he was on that track. He is really, really, really good. Ohio state when they had him early um, and he was rolling before Ohio state kind of fell off for a little bit. 
They looked and like they, I mean they were they looked like the best team in the country. Yeah, and they actually they fell off before it was announced. It kind of seemed like they were dipping a little bit before yeah. it was announced that he was leaving the team temporarily due to uh, mental health issues, and he never did return to the team. And then announced that he's going to transfer. So, but he's a guy who has a case, I would think, to play right away. Oh, completely, uh, yeah. Given mental health concerns, so um, maybe the opportunity at Creighton doesn't as, as appealing. But again, the Jays recruiting him out of high school, so I would imagine there's some relationships there that they can tap into and try to uh, try to lure him there. Creighton was in, in on reportedly this kid from uh, St. Peter's, a point guard, freshman point guard, Aaron Estrada, who. Uh, uh, ultimately chose Oregon, but according to reports, Creighton was in the final three. So they're definitely working and uh, trying to find a uh, some obviously some talent. There's a lot of talent out there, and it's crazy how. I mean, we we're going to get off this Zoom. We're recording this on a Tuesday. We're going to get off this Zoom, and by within the next eight hours, I guarantee there's going to be like four or five big time names or like impact, potential impact type players that enter the transfer portal. Um, just the, the last couple of days in the Big Ten. I mean, Luther Muhammad from Ohio State, uh, De, De Julius from Michigan, Matt Harms from Purdue, like those guys have entered in. Um, it's so interesting, man. It's so interesting. There's a, there's a lot of potential talent out there. It's just it's a matter of trying to find the right fit. And I think Creighton's had some pretty good success over the years. I mean, you look at their, their team uh, this last year, Damian Jefferson was obviously – a pretty integral piece of what they did. And he transferred in Denzel Mahoney transferred in. He was the biggie six man of the year. Reese Watson, Marcus Foster, Cole Huff. I mean, they've had the Jays have had some guys, Gregory Echenique, if you want to even go back that far, um, the Jays have had some impact transfers, but it is sort of like, I always wonder, Chris, I don't know if you get the same feeling. Like there was a lot of hype around a train. I think of a guy like, um, let's just take Matt Harms. He enters the transfer portal and then the next, you see the reports and he's like, you know, I can't, my phone's blowing up so much. I can't keep track of how many people are contacting me. So like all of a sudden there's just a lot of hype around one player. Is it worth, you know, it it almost feels like it's too much. Like how much is he really going to make an impact at his next spot? I mean, I think, I don't know if I've seen, maybe you have like, in-depth sort of data analysis about the impact of transfers or not, but it really does feel like it's a, um, like a 50, 50 venture. Like you don't, well, yeah, much, it's also, much, we pay attention to it obviously. Cause it's a new player coming on the team. Everyone's interested, but like there's no guarantee that it works. No, it's definitely not. And it's also one of those things too, where it's like, this is a lot of things in life, but, people I think would rather think about something that they don't really know about, but they've heard great things. So you're, so you're going to take the best possible version of this person or this player and put them on your roster and you go best case scenario. You don't ever go worst case scenario. It's always, well, Teddy Allen, uh, you know, scored 30, more than 30 game at Juco right? But there's also a lot of things that come with Teddy Allen when you bring him onto the roster. And he's the only one, I think, that there's been some real um, conversation about of, like, kind of a 50-50 consideration, right? I mean, I think you amongst, look at... Amongst the fans. like Yeah, fans, but yeah. but I think when you take into consideration, like, like Kobe King, right? Or um, 
Shamil Stevenson or Derek Walker. They're like there, I think with transfers, there is an automatic assumption it's going to work and it's going to be the best possible thing. This isn't just in football either. This isn't, you know, it's the same reason why there are so many recruiting websites because people love to build in their head. Okay. Here's what this recruiting class looks like. And okay. They're ranked 15th in the country, this recruiting class. And this is what it's going to look like in two years. And it's going to be great. You know, we're going to win the big 10 West or we're going to win the ACC or you know, whatever. And everything's going to be great. It's just kind of a, so I think I agree with you. I mean, the reason why, you know, Gonzaga, Kentucky, the re, you know, are, are reaching out to Matt Harms or um, the reason why Nebraska is in on so many different transfers is this idea of hope, right? That they're going to be the one that changes everything that, yeah. that this recruit is going to be the one that whatever. Um, and I think that's the reason why um, people always feel really good about their football or their basketball team right before the season starts. I mean, I, I did a story the, this, the weekend before Nebraska's last season started and talked to fans and I was like, what do you think? What is your expectation? Everybody told me 500. They're going to go 500 in the league, 500 total. Like I'd be okay with that. I'd be disappointed with anything other than that. But in hindsight, it's like, well, how could you believe that that team was going to go 500? Right. And I, and to be complete, I, the thing I said was my expectation was 500, just strictly based on what Fred Hoiberg's first season was. But then in a podcast with Sam, we kind of went through, okay, win, loss, win, loss. I and mean, it was, it was way under 500. Mm. Um, but that's the impact is like you, you decide it's the best possible version of this recruit. You put them on the team. It's going to go as well as you possibly can. I think that's why, um, that's why all this has happened. That's why everybody reaches out to Matt Harms. I think Matt Harms is pretty good. No, so do I. I wasn't like discounting but, him, but I'm just But like, at the same time, though, if he goes to Gonzaga, I don't know if he starts. If he goes to Kentucky, I don't know if he starts. I think the best possible version of Matt Harms is going to a powerhouse and coming off the bench. Right. I mean, he, he was at a, like a borderline powerhouse, produced a good program. And True, he, yeah. I, I guess he probably maybe he was he wouldn't have played as much as he wanted, so he's going to a place where he can find a role. But you know, yeah, I guess it's that thing is just, you're right. It's an assumption of like, well, whatever potential this guy has, he will reach it. Yes. All he needs is a new spot. The grass is greener. So and sometimes either the grass isn't greener or maybe that potential is just remains untapped for that individual. So very interesting to see how this plays out. Chris, uh, always enjoy chatting with you. I guess we'll end the pod like we always do. Nebraska almost has a full team now, so that's exciting. Who wins yeah. if Nebraska um, play today? I mean, I, I, I still take Creighton. Marcus Zagorowski's um, on crutches. Well, I guess he's off crutches now, so he's out right now. Hey, but he can hit a shot on his butt from like the three. Did you see the little hook yeah. shot? Oh, yeah. That's pretty great. They could bring bring him in for a, 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 a out of timeout sideline out of bounds play or something. Yeah, he, he hits a three and then come back immediately calls the timeout gets him back yeah, out. Right. So he's good for three points at least. I mean, I still th- I still take Creighton. I do think I think Nebraska's got the pieces. I think they've got a lot of really good pieces. I'm really curious how they'll put it together and yeah, what the locker room is like. That's the million dollar question. Yep. Who knows? But how. I think Creighton wins when you bring back ninety four percent of your offense. I'm probably yeah, going to pick I mean, you to win. Right, I think the only wild card is Tyshawn Alexander. I guess also, True. I think Creighton has submitted draft paperwork or gone to the undergraduate draft advisory board for its feedback on Marcus Sigurowski as well. But given his injury status, like it doesn't seem that he would declare. But again, that's it's always a possibility. So, um, 
Yeah, I definitely. It's interesting. I remember talking to Lee after the season was over for one basketball year. And the, I was the like, veteran so, Lee Barfnick? Yeah. And I was like, so what are you going to do now? And he was like, um, I'm going to be busier over the next couple of weeks than I was during the season uh, until about mid-May or June. Yeah. That's what we're in. Yep. It never ends. Basketball season, the off season is its own season. So it pretty much is. We'll be back probably probably next week, I would imagine. Because Yeah, when you want to do another virtual visit. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let me check my schedule uh and <laughs> get back to you. I may have a few other virtual visits I want to tap into. Um, <laughs> then, but, all right. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate yep. it.